So why don't you tell us what exactly happened to that new piece of equipment you just obtained, David? Uh, the Envoy? Yeah. Yeah, so I got it. Um, and I had it for a minute, but I actually waited for you to show up and show you uh, unboxing it. Because I didn't tell you I uh, got it. Yeah. Because you basically told me you, you had a surprise waiting for me and it was supposed to come in on a particular day. And so when I showed up, I was quite surprised that you actually bought that. Yes. So I basically said that I wasn't going to get it for a minute. Mm -hmm. But then I randomly decided to just get it. Um, I bought the Envoy mm -hmm. that we were talking about. Um and so I was charging it uh, for a whole day, I think, or at least until it was fully charged, uh, and then started testing it out, and the screen was glitching. Uh, it seemed to have some, uh, some, some problems with it uh, right out the gate, so we took some mm -hmm. video of it, uh, and I emailed GhostStop. Uh, that I had a problem, and then, then they told me they wanted to see some video evidence, so we already had that lined up, and uh, sent it to them, and they said, yeah, uh, ship it back to us, and we'll try to fix it. Um, so I did that. Little shitty thing, though, I had to pay for shipping to ship it back to them. Um, I felt like that was a little upsetting because i already paid like 400 dollars for this and they sent yeah. it to me not working the least they could do is have it you know pay for my shipping to give it back to them yeah which this isn't the first time this has happened either you also had to pay for shipping to send your sls and to get repaired as well for another company yeah that yeah. did stuff like that so that was a little i mean it was whatever it's what six bucks i don't know how much for shipping was mm -hmm. um but then they fixed it, and they sent it back to me, and they gave me the exact same one I gave to them. So they didn't just give me a new one. They actually worked on the one I, I gave them back. And I know that because in the, the box, it had the same exact packing slips and stuff of uh, what I originally had. And I can just mm -hmm. kind of tell, too, looking at it, that the dials were like in the same places, and it, it, it just looked the same. When mm -hmm. I first looked at it, because that was a little thing too, I noticed that just some stuff that they had on it uh, just wasn't center. Mm -hmm. So you know, kind of just instantly notice when stuff's not centered and, and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but they sent it back, and it seems to be working fine. We just tested it out last night, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, obviously, it's gonna take a little more investigating with it to determine its uh, use but uh, i think we got decent results yesterday yeah we definitely did i mean we uh we were at a location last night and one of my investigators brought a uh haunted item to show us and we proceeded to investigate said haunted item and we used that newest piece of equipment david got the envoy and it seemed to work better on the yes and no for that particular instance. We tried it on the emotion as well, and that didn't work out so well. I figured the yes or no was actually a lot better in that setting, would you say? 
Yeah, well, I think the emotion one was interesting in terms of we tried uh, having it use my ovulus. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't speak through my ovulus, and then the envoy said confused. Yeah, that's right. That's like right. it couldn't it couldn't figure out the ovulus. So that was a little bit, for me, like kind of reassuring that that makes sense, that it can't use the ovulus because it doesn't know how to. Mm-hmm. So that's what I uh, attributed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, le- learning how the envoy worked with the dials uh, is a lot different than the description it gives you. Mm-hmm. Because I really couldn't figure out how. I just figured the screen just works on its own. But the dials actually, depending on how the dials work, uh, will determine how the envoy responds. Because it has a temperature, touch, and EMF sensors. Mm-hmm. And if you want it to communicate through through the touch you turn the touch on and when the device is touched that's when it stops on something yeah and then the emf is through the energy so it has three different ways of it to actually communicate through the device mm-hmm. instead of it automatically being on one of those you you automatically choose it yeah and the one thing that we did not try last night was the temperature portion of it which i didn't think would be very practical in the location that we were at anyway yeah, it was difficult with the temperature being as we were outdoor location and buildings that, you know, were hot. And then just everything with that, it's not really makes sense to do temperature in that type of environment that we were in, especially mm-hmm. where it got cold that night and the buildings were hot. Too much fluctuation yeah. to be able to do a controlled test on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one would be more so, I think, if we do, like, an actual residential's house that it is more insulated. Yeah. Um, but the other two were interesting. Um, and then I really only did the text one time that I think also was surprisingly yielding some results because we were in a place where a spirit's name that I know to be named mm-hmm. uh, starts with an S. And then the first word that come through on the text was an S. And then yeah. I asked if that was the spirit's name, and then we got another response that, like, through another piece of equipment that kind of validated that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was little bits of things here and there with that piece of equipment that potentially leads to it being validated. So, it'll just take a little bit more using it and using other equipment with it to also prove it. Mm-hmm. But so far, it's on the track to being pretty good. Yeah, and I also remember hearing the word Beth come through the FX, and then you said the letter B came up on the screen. Yeah, right after you said Beth. Yep, that is correct. Yep. Yep. So it seems to work pretty well now that the uh, issue has been resolved with the physical equipment itself. I mean, it was bizarre. Like, we, David showed it to me, I pulled out of the box, inspected it, and surprisingly enough, the 3D printing on it was pretty spot on. It was pretty nice. Uh, And... Like uh, on a previous episode, it does fit comfortably in your hand and everything, too. But once we turned it on and everything, and the screen was just glitching, just having a bunch of issues, we were trying to test the different settings and everything, and at one point in time, the screen flipped on itself. So it was upside down randomly, which we didn't understand what the hell happened there. So I'm glad they were able to get a fix and get it sent back to you so we can actually test it. Yeah. No, it, it, it was good. Um, the only thing with the fitting in your hand, I think it's still, I find it better if you just sit it on something, though, instead of holding it, because then holding it could lead to you getting misinformation. Yeah. 
because obviously you wouldn't be able to do the touch setting on it. I don't think you'd want to do the temperature setting on it because your hand's hot. Mm -hmm. And then the EMF, it could potentially confuse your energy with it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, well I was just meaning that it was just, it was comfortable in the hand. It wasn't heavy. Oh, yeah, but no, it wasn't for sure. Light. It, it fit comfortably in the hand so that way when you're actually carrying things, it's not like something overbearing like an SLS or a camera rig or anything like that. It's just, it was nice, light, but it seemed to be robust. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, it could definitely, it's good to handle. I just mm -hmm. for like practical use of the equipment. Yeah, just one of those yeah. things. That Doesn't I think it have better. the uh, five ten thread on the on the bottom side of it so you can mount it to a tripod or something like that? Yes, yes, you yeah. can do that. So I thought. All right, you ready to get this party started? Yeah. This podcast contains material and language that may be disturbing to some listeners. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. David and Shane discuss their random paranormal adventures and stories. We dive into paranormal cases from the past and the present. We also talk about what got us into the paranormal, the highlights, and the scary moments while on our adventures. This is Shane, and you are listening to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. This podcast represents the views and opinions of David and Shane and their guests to the show. The views and opinions are for informational purposes only and because each person is so unique to their experiences, knowledge, and research, any and all opinions expressed does not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of any Bear River Paranormal group member, nor any member of the paranormal community as a whole. Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to us. My name is Shane. And I'm David. And on today's episode of the BRP Podcast, we are going to talk about lightning with the effects of the paranormal. We are also going to be talking about the Alaskan Triangle. We are going to talk about a residential down in Mount Pleasant, Utah, which we came across a Wendigo on that investigation. And for the equipment that we're going to be talking about is the footstep tracker. Now, David, lightning with the effects of the paranormal. Now, we all know that lightning, every time when a lightning strikes or anything like that, there's a high amount of EMF that comes off of lightning strikes, which can, in turn, help spirits gain more energy to communicate more. Now, what's your experience with being on an investigation and having lightning happening at the same time? Yeah, I think there's been a few instances in which we were in an investigation and an active lightning storm was occurring. Yeah. I mean, that's been rare, but I know there's been more times that uh, prior to the investigation, like maybe the night before, mm -hmm. there was an active storm. Um, and I've been to places where there what has been a storm and hasn't been a storm. Mm -hmm. And there is, I would say, significant 
um, increase in activity when there's been any type of a, a storm mm-hmm. uh, prior to investigating. Yeah. I will um, notate, though. So, David was not with me when this happened, but um, a little bit ago, our good friend Tim Behunen from the EVP podcast, he threw a potluck at the Benson Gristmill, and later on that night, there was actually lightning happening off in the distance. And surprisingly enough, like I, every time when the lightning would happen, you can feel the energy coming from the lightning. But that night in particular was just not really that active. And that can happen. It's a rare occurrence, but it can happen. But that night just was not that active, even with the lightning going on in the background. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's uh, interesting, for sure, that, that that was the case of that. Um, but it is also... The place in question that you guys were at um, mm-hmm. is also controlled a lot spiritually by a certain thing there as well, yeah. um, which could have its effects. Um, that place is always 50-50, though, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, what you get, because the same with me being there uh, recently. Uh, my ovulus, I had zero activity off my ovulus that entire night. Yeah. So, and I've had great evidence there with my ovulus as well. So it, it is one of those places that it's crazy what type of uh, evidence you get mm-hmm. f- from there. But I think even lightning or no lightning, when it comes to that place, you always feel the energy no matter what. Yeah, most Just because of how were there so it's interesting that you're still you were still feeling the energy from the lightning mm-hmm. but just because it didn't correlate into evidence uh doesn't mean that i don't think it still had a significant impact mm-hmm. on what the spirits were potentially uh getting charged from yeah i just potentially i maybe they just didn't have the type of communicating ability in the moment mm-hmm. or they're being suppressed yeah it, it's hard to say because it's uh there's a lot of speculation about what the reasoning is but because of the place in question uh, we're so intimately familiar with mm-hmm. it's easier for me to say that versus then if you set it on a place that I may have never been to yeah I don't think I could as confidently say the reasoning mm-hmm. but it's, st- it's still interesting the fact that uh, you guys didn't get as much uh, activity with lightning versus any other random night yeah yeah which is very true and the lightning storm was happening at least 20 to 30 miles away it basically we left right in time within 10 15 minutes after we left it was a huge downpour right over uh and stansbury park and you can see the lightning like the whole entire drive home from benson all the way to logan you could just see the lightning and it was happening and at one point in time once i got up to about brigham city it was like right there too right yeah that was a rainy rainy week i mean i was up in uh lava idaho mm-hmm. that whole week mm-hmm. and it was just raining non-stop yeah um 
Incidentally, um, not to get off topic, uh, where I was staying up there though, uh, the main building that you check in at, um, I would say was haunted. Um, you definitely when you walk into the place, you just had that, that, that energy feeling that, you know, there was, it was an old building. Uh, but then where I was staying was mm -hmm. like little motel buildings next to it. So mm -hmm. it wasn't actually attached to the building. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, w when we were in there, Sadie was getting the same kind of sickly feeling that we got when we stayed up at the, the old hospital that they converted into a, a hotel. Mm -hmm. The lava hot springs in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was getting that kind of same feeling that she got when we stayed there in that little building. So it was it was interesting to get that. And then also, I f discovered up in lava that there's an old uh, mining tunnel mm -hmm. that is like sealed off now. But I never knew it was there, and I thought that was really cool to see. Mm -hmm. Took a bunch of pictures of it mm -hmm. just because I've never never knew that that was there before. Mm -hmm. But that'd be pretty cool to investigate. Right. Well, that whole entire town, you, you've you even said it before, it seems like that whole entire town is just haunted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would attest to that for sure. Pretty much any old building you go in there, I'm sure there's... Just because, I mean, it's just one of those mining towns, settlement, it's near the river, it's mm -hmm. close to the Oregon Trail... It was just one of those places that everyone kind of stopped at, you know, in, in their journeys up north. Mm -hmm. it, it's a cool place for sure. I love lava. It's one of my favorite places to go. Yeah. And while you were up there, were, did you notice like any, uh, how was the energy up there with the, with the storm going on and everything like that? Well, I used the hot pots pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. And energy wise for me, that's using hot pots is a great way to recharge mm -hmm. and you know kind of get rid of all the kind of grounding out you know mm -hmm. at the same time so it's like grounding out all the stuff releasing all the things and then recharging as well mm -hmm. um, I did like three to four different things because a we went to you know the paid ones that you pay to do you know they have like mm -hmm. two different ones up there yeah um, use their springs. Uh, my hotel had the 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 tubs in the in the rooms were actually fed spring water through that, so that was kind of cool. Yeah. And then my hotel also had a hot tub that did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Use that, and then I actually used a natural one, one mm -hmm. that actually came out of the mountain and then into the river, and there was like rocks that were like circling the certain section. Mm -hmm. That one was really cool because it was different in the fact that it was both hot and cold. Yeah. So, like, you had the hot water coming in from the top, so the surface layer was, like, boiling, that if you just kind of sat there too long, you'd burn your skin. But then, like, below, like, where your feet are, it was cold because mm -hmm. the river's flowing in. So you kind of had to, like, circulate the water with your hands, like, the whole time just to not burn or freeze. Yeah. But that one was cool because, A, it was free. It was just out there. You can't really, you know, charge that. Mm -hmm. So anyone can just go there. But it was also really cool because it was, like, as natural as you can get. Yeah. So that, that place is uh, really cool. Um, there really wasn't lightning. It was just mostly rain. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure the static energy was still probably palpable there. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, that was more, uh, you know, vacation mode. So I didn't really pay too much attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, and I completely understand. Um, so I did find a particular article on this subject. Now, um, basically, the the consensus is it's commonly said that the paranormal community that hauntings occur as a result of psychic or spiritual energy. So could a massive amount of energy generated by a lightning strike cause a spike in paranormal activity? The simple answer depending on what you believe in yes it could happen however it would probably cause no greater increase than your nearest radio transmitter um basically um paranormal investigators think that lingering energy of a living human can exist outside of the body after death and that spirit draw on any source of energy in order to replenish them this could include uh, feeding on the energy from electrical circuit, batteries, or even energy discharge during a thunderstorm. The problem is, no one knows for sure exactly what type of energy spirits consist of. A very common used tool in the paranormal field is an elect- electromagnetic field meter, EMF meter. They alert when, uh, when they detect an electromagnetic field with a lave- la- wave length ranging from about 14 kilometers to 6,000 kilometers. Lightning strikes in a wavelength band around 777 nanometers, which is in the near infrared region of the electromagnetic spectrum. This This is the other end of the scale to the very low frequency energy that paranormal investigators attempt to detect with EMF. Uh, if you believe that the spirit energy we leave behind is the lingering electrical energy from within our brains, then it's hard to understand how lightning could affect it. Brain waves have an even lower uh, lower wavelength than those picked up by EMF meters, about to uh, let's see, twenty thousand kilometers. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Km? That's kilometers, right? Um, is it a like a Lowercase or a capital K? A lower K. Lower K and lower M. Yeah, I think that's kilometers. Place them in the super low frequency band of the EMF spectrum. Basically, it still has to be determined on if lightning actually does affect it because it says here it's not that the lightning bolt doesn't generate enough energy to feel the paranormal, it's just the type of energy is very difficult. It could be like putting diesel in a petrol car, is basically what they're trying to uh, com- compare it as. Uh, me personally, I know for a fact every time when, um, whenever uh, there's lightning, a storm happening, I could, always, I could feel that energy. Case in point, when, when I was at Benson Gristmill. Um, I personally have never done any field study during a thunderstorm to see if activity has personally, you know, increase because of a lightning storm but I feel there can be some uh, validity to it you know what I mean because I feel like even even though it could be on the lower end of the spectrum versus what the spirit is required energy is still energy wouldn't you say yeah I mean I can see that it's probably harder for them because 
in, in the article it says that you know spirits can use like you know generators and all that i'm like yeah that's because that's the energy is closer for them to do mm-hmm. versus lightning that's further away from them they can't just see the lightning and then automatically draw from it they have to take the particles that are in the air mm-hmm. from the lightning that is generating in the atmosphere yeah so i can see why it would say that it's no different Mm-hmm. than just borrowing it from like just household appliances and stuff mm-hmm. but if you think about it you know that means the whole air is charged mm-hmm. that would just make it easier for it to be able to get more energy from other things easier because it's already you know got a head start on that you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah because it says here, a, a strike of lightning delivers about 1 billion joules of energy, which is enough to power a 60-watt light bulb for six months, but that electrical energy lasts milliseconds, and the majority of it is converted into other forms of energy before a, a spirit could get a uh, ethereal, E-T-H-E-R-E-A-L, ethereal. Ethereal? ethereal hands on it is basically what they're saying so they're this article that i'm reading you know it gives a lot of good um scientific meaning behind it but by what i can see here i feel like this article basically saying that it can't really happen i would really like to see if anybody has done any field studies on this to see if it's actually a viable thing or not yeah because we would have to to actually do that we'd have to know when it like kind of almost be like a storm chaser yeah know when a storm's coming and then immediately be ready at a location already to be like all right let's see what we can get from it which i'm sure would be actually interesting to do Mm -hmm. uh if we had uh the time to do that yeah but um i i feel like it has positive results in terms of having spirits get more energized Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than than the opposite of even though like it doesn't do nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean everything does a little bit. So yeah, I'm I'm more leaning towards the fact that it it does help with activity. Mm-hmm. Um, until there's more information to tell me otherwise. Yeah, some more study, some more evidence to su- to support the claim, basically. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I completely agree with that. I think more studies need to be done by this. I I think this would be a fun one to do if we had the time, and it and we would literally have to keep watch on the storm on the weather twenty four seven, and then have a location ready to actually be on site and be ready once the lightning starts happening, you know, start start actually recording and and analyzing and everything, and it could be something viable. Well, sure. then you have um, the difference. Is it, is it a dry lightning storm or is it lightning with rain? Yeah. Because that could also uh, affect things. Mm-hmm. Because we all know that water itself is a natural conductor of energy, especially like a, a river or anything like that. So it helps uh, the spirits get help from that to obtain energy. So that could be another uh, wrench to throw in, you know, account for the rainfall and everything like that. Yeah. And then it'd be same, you know, like on a windy day too, mm-hmm. you know, because wind is a is a natural element, 
And as we know, elements affect uh, the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. You know, in various in various ways, whether it's a form of balance in nature, or if it's a swirling type of energy. I mean, we use literally air to make electricity. Yeah, because when 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 we were out at Golden Spike, it was windy as hell that night, but we were still getting phenomenal activity, and there was no lightning right. to be seen. So I mean, there is aspects of a storm that is more than just I think the lightning; it's other type of elements that is being thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And my question to all of our listeners, have you guys ever experienced a lightning storm during an investigation? What was the outcome of that investigation? And for anybody else that don't investigate, have you noticed, if you have activity in your house, have you noticed that activity has increased when a lightning storm is happening versus on a normal day-by-day basis? We actually want to hear your guys' stories. So if you can leave us a comment on this post when we post up this uh, podcast or if you want to go to our group page we will be leaving links about lightning and the effects of the paranormal in that group so if you guys want to chime in and give your two cents on it we would love to hear your guys' opinions did you have anything uh, else you want to talk about on this particular topic David on lightning yep Um, it's cool right I like the way it looks. It's scary. I applaud those guys that can actually take pictures of lightning. Because that's like, you have to have a trigger finger for that. Yeah, I like to see how it looks. I mean, the pure potential in lightning is astonishing. Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of uh, paranormal, no, I I feel like it's definitely, you're, we'd get more people in the response of, it does increase activity more mm-hmm. so than they, that would say it doesn't. Yeah. But even the people who would say it doesn't, I'm curious to hear their reasoning. Mm-hmm. But no, that's about it. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody. The sponsor of today's episode is Anchor, the platform that we use at the BRB podcast for our podcast. Anchor is an awesome web-based distribution type platform, kind of like Spreaker and some of those other platforms out there that allows people to host their podcasts. But here's the caveat. There is no caveat. It's free. Free? Yeah, free. Unlike some of the other streaming platforms that we've used in the past, like Spreaker, They limit you on how many episodes you can upload. They limit you on how many demographics and charts and stuff like that that you want to see and see how your podcast is doing. So Anchor provides all that for free. You can upload. You can have as many episodes as you want for how long it needs to be. They give you all of the graphs and charts needed so that way you can keep track of your progress on how well you're doing for your podcast. And they also give you the option to help monetize your episodes as well by either giving you some sponsorships or you obtain some sponsorships. We definitely, definitely recommend checking out Anchor for all of your podcast needs because us at BRP Podcast, we are a self-funded podcast. So the fact that we can use 
internet-based platform for free and they give us all the tools to make us successful is why we give them two thumbs up. So we definitely recommend you check out Anchor. The link is in the description of this podcast. We would love for you to check them out and let them know that we sent you over to them. Thanks, Anchor. So for the next topic for this episode, the Alaskan Triangle. Now, David did mention that he has done a lot of a little bit of research on this. So what what what's your opinion on the Alaskan Triangle? Can you educate us on exactly what that is about? Uh, yeah, so it's um, basically a triangle point between like the major uh, cities there. Like it's a uh, between Anchorage, Juneau, and then Panhandle, and then another small coast. So there's like four mm-hmm. different ones, and basically the entire middle between those guys is like the wild frontier that is like uninhabited basically so since 1988 it says that more than 16,000 people have disappeared in the Alaskan Triangle with the missing person rate at more than twice the national average Mm. and in any given year these numbers may be differ it says 500 to 2,000 people go missing in Alaska never to be seen again and authorities conduct hundreds of rescue missions, most often return without finding the missing person or any evidence at all. Um, the disappearances, you know, they're kind of blamed on everything from like weather, animals, aliens, mm-hmm. swirling energy vortexes, mm-hmm. and then evil shape shifting demons. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Indian lore. Uh, out there as well that we're going to cover but I mean people can just hike and fall cliff, die decay, you know like there's many probably more logical explanations, I mean it is a very dangerous place Um, but there are I think more of the 10-20% of those cases that are more mysterious Mm -hmm. but um I mean, there is like literally 33,000 miles of coastlines. And then according to this, there are like million lakes that are untamed wildlife. And then winters, like Alaska is known for like the, sh- the worst seasons that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Like months without the sun setting and then like winters without ever seeing the sun. Yeah. And you can't even leave like your cabin for like a couple of months. Yeah, that's rough. And people can go mad. Like, you know, there's literally... I I forget what the actual term is of it. It's like a cabin fever, something like that. Yeah, cabin fever. Where you literally can go mad and people probably, you know, commit suicide or do other random things, murder people because of this psychological trauma that they've, you know, experienced. Um... But I guess the biggest thing we can talk about is uh, there are many people that support the idea of energy vortexes uh, within the triangle. Mm-hmm. You know, and energy vortexes are like, you know, thought to be swirling centers of energy concentrated in specific places. Um, for some reason, that seems to be a, a big one that people talk about because there are they talk about two different types of energy 
Uh, one, you know, is uh, clockwise and counterclockwise. One's positive, one's negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of these energies is the thought to affect humans in uh, various physical and mental and emotional ways. So kind of like how we talk about, you know, the cabin fever idea, have that mixed with a negative energy vortex in that region, it could deteriorate, I guess, your mind even faster Mm -hmm. than what uh, normally would happen. Mm -hmm. But there are also, you know, positive ones as well. So certain places that have potentially the opposite feel effect uh and that's probably what most natives uh would probably have their village around or you know back in the day yeah around those positive ones if they found it mm-hmm. and that's why there's not many tribes other were places because they probably thought that's the negative vortexes that are swirling there mm-hmm um, the other thing, I don't know if you knew this, Shane, um, hmm. with the idea of the vortexes when they're, you know, in a clockwise motion or versus, um, so the negative vortexes, they also spiral downward in hmm. a counterclockwise motion. Hmm. And the positive ones spiral upward. In a clockwise motion. Yes, and we mm-hmm. knew about the counter and clockwise one, but mm-hmm. I've never heard the t- of it being downwards or upwards. Yeah, that is definitely strange. Because that could actually open up a bit more interesting ideas, knowing that something can go up or down, whether it's positive or negative, in terms of the vor- vortex. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, but, yeah, um, the, uh, the triangle, the Alaskan triangle is said to be filled with negative um, vortexes. Okay. Which is interesting because, you know, if you got the closest to Alaska um, from the states, it would be like the Oregon area, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, besides Canada. And we were just talking on another episode of that area having a lot of vortexes as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's who's to say that some of the Alaskan Triangle, the energy is kind of bleeding in to the states through that area of Oregon that has all those uh, vortexes that we talked about. Could be. I mean, we are talking about, I would say, probably, what, over a thousand miles difference between Oregon and Alaska? Because, I mean, you got Washington in between and then Canada, obviously. And right. then those miles and miles of coastline all the way up there yeah so well that's just say. pockets yeah that probably run i don't know how it'd be atmospheric or underneath but i mm-hmm. mean if you look at the terms of like the super volcano that thing can reach very far yeah you know up there in yellowstone so it could operate the same way it's just it's more easier to see the volcanoes side of things versus energy that we really can't see yeah um, but that's about, I think, the basis of what I got. Were you able to determine if any, like, ley lines or anything like that crossed in within that triangle? Um, not in what I read, but I mm-hmm. fully believe there is probably a, a, a few. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I can do a quick search real quick, but I, I would assume so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it, I find it weird... 
And 2007, state troopers reported over 2,800 disappearances within that triangle. Hmm. I wonder what's the ratio of that, because it says there's a population of more than 700,000 people. So I wonder if that's like, what, less than 2%? Yeah, they, they show that there's a lot of people that have gone missing mm -hmm. in, in Alaska. Hmm. Huh. Kind of curious about that now. Say if it was 700,000. No, it's even less than 1%. Yeah, I can't really find... I mean, I have some images of uh, ley lines in general, but I can't really find a good zoomed-up picture of Alaska with the, with ley lines. Mm -hmm. um, and even if I do, it's really hard to kind of tell uh, what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like 0.004% of the population. Roughly. But pretty much everywhere has ley lines. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't name a place that doesn't really have a ley line going through in mm -hmm. terms of, like, you know, the state or, or whatever. And your, uh, when you were doing your research, David, did you get did you find anybody that had any, like, first count witness of, like, the Alaskan Triangle or anything like that? Um... I mean, there's a few people that it mentions, um, people who are van vanished, uh, in midair while flying from Anchorage to Juneau. Mm -hmm. Um, like 50 civilian planes and 40 military aircraft, plus dozens of boats, um, that have just disappeared. Uh, certain people, like, uh, uh such as, uh, Alaskan congressman. Nick something um, disappeared. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a pretty notable person. Yeah. Um, to disappear. Mm -hmm. hmm. And that that's through planes and boats. That's not even people that have just been hiking through the forest that have disappeared. Yeah, this is, I mean, which I, I've heard that, you know, storms in Alaska are, are brutal. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, that could make sense for a majority of the reason why. Because, I mean, the planes that are flying down there, they're not like big commercial airliners. Yeah. They're they're really tiny biplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, single prop airplanes. A lot of people that live out in the bush use them as well. But um, there are... So this next thing we're talking about, this... Kushtaka? Is that how you'd say that? Uh, Kushtaka. Um, that thing that we're about to talk about, mm -hmm. um, was said to, uh, potentially help people who are lost in the woods mm -hmm. of the, of this Alaskan Triangle. But it's also very known for also not helping you as well. It's kind mm -hmm. of like a 50-50 thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it is a Tingai Indian lore, I guess. It's a, a native tribe uh, there. Mm -hmm. um, that is actually one of the biggest uh, explanations of people who have gone missing uh, in, in the native lore of, of there. Mm -hmm. um, 
can we talk about that creature now? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay. I was actually going to suggest talking about the the Tingit people and their and the uh, Kushtaka. Yeah, Kushtaka. Um, basically, what that translates to is uh, land otter man. Hmm. It's a it's a mythical shape shifting creature uh, found in the folklore of the Tingite peoples of the Pacific Northwest coast of North America. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's their shape shifting capability of assuming human form, mm-hmm. or most often the form of an otter, and potentially other forms. But that's pretty mm-hmm. much what it is, or like a combination of like an otter slash human. So like. It looks like a human, but it's like face lives of an otter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Weird thing. Apparently, they like otters. Mm-hmm. Um, it is has the ability to assume other species of an otter. Um, they are called as cruel creatures who take delight in trickling, tricking poor sailors to their deaths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then other people say that they are friendly and helpful, frequently saving the lost from like death and freezing. Mm-hmm. Um, in many stories, the Kushtika save the lost individual by distracting them with curious otter-like illusions of their families and friends mm-hmm. as they transform their subject into a fellow Kushtika, thus allowing him to survive in the cold uh, naturally. Mm. So... In some cases, he'll try to trick sailors into drowning them. Mm-hmm. In other cases, he'll feel sorry for you and try to save you, I guess. Yeah. What I what I find that it's uh, a little funny. So the Kushtaka uh, remains a mysterious creature still feared by the, the Tingit tribe. So basically, um, from what I'm understanding, because, you know, every single Native American tribe out there has different you know, stories, folklore, stuff like that. Uh, case in point, the, the Navajo Nation, you know, um, uh, skinwalkers, and then some other uh, Native Americans out there believe in Wendigos, and, you know, those are shape-shifting creatures that try to portray themselves as man and animal at the same time. And the fact that this one, even though the, the name sounds uh, pretty, you know, cool, you know, the Kushtaka, Land Otter Man, half man half otter but it can be likened by it, they basically compare it as like the the native american version of bigfoot essentially it's a it's a very uh, elusive creature that tends to you know lure you in and and basically make you disappear and everything and i find that a, a little ironic but also very interesting at the same time hearing some of these native american folklore in regards to something that can be unexplained like the Bermuda Triangle and the Alaskan Triangle and stuff like that yeah um, I got a little bit more so in some legends mm-hmm. it is said that the Kushtika will imitate the cries of a baby or the screams of women to lure victims to the river that's creepy once there the Kushtika either kills the person and tears them to shreds or will turn them into another Kushtika mm-hmm. um since the Kushtika mainly preys on small children, though, it has been thought that some is used by Tingit mothers to keep their children from wandering too close to the ocean by themselves. Hmm. Um, 
It is also said that the Kushtika emit a high-pitched three-part whistle in the pattern of a low-high-low. Hmm. I guess that is like its signature calling card. When you hear that, you know that's what it is. Um, and then there are certain ways to ward off Acoustica. Um, copper, hmm. urine, dogs, and in some stories, fire. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, it makes sense for the legend beginning from uh, people saying, yeah, this thing exists. So mm-hmm. kids, don't go wandering alone or you'll die. You know, mm-hmm. as kind of like a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it could have just taken off from there and just became a folklore legend, you know. Yeah. Because um, this particular uh, sentence right here kind of explains it all. Uh the Kushtika has never never been seen, never photographed, but always on the prowl for the next victim, is basically what I'm gathering. Right, and it doesn't sound like there's ever been like a, a survivor of someone who's encountered it and lived to tell the tale, you know? It just seems mm-hmm. like the story has just been created, and then it just continues, but no one's ever seen it. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, hey, it's a pretty good legend. I mean, it's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. I'd be pretty scared out there. I mean, I'd be more scared of bears and shit than than this, but... Right, because the farther north north you go, the bigger the animals are. <laughs> um, but, I mean, put it up there on the list of things to worry about besides, you know, dying of natural causes. Right. Yeah, th- this has been very interesting. I, there's a lot that I've learned here uh, just about the Alaskan Triangle and the Kush- Kushtaka. Uh, than what I've known, you know, 20 minutes ago. Right, yeah, I never heard of this creature, but, I mean, there's tons of cryptid creatures. Pretty much every state, I would assume, literally has a type of creature in its folklore. Yeah. Um, Speaking of cryptids, did you see that article that I posted up a a few days ago? Oh, um, of the creature? That was caught on camera in Texas? Yeah, I think KSL also... uh, posted it as well yeah what are your thoughts on that um it looks cool (laughs) interesting looking i mean i don't think i read the article but i mean it just from the the picture it looks pretty uh interesting yeah well that one article that i posted up i read through it and basically the answer is to be to be determined basically they could not figure out exactly what it was because they couldn't determine that if it was actually someone human or something unworldly you know a cryptoid like a like a chupacabra or, or anything like that that's basically what they referenced in that article that they think it could have been a chupacabra but it's well it's, hard to it's say. in texas and texas is pretty known for a lot of uh chupacabra sightings mm-hmm um, but well, between I mean, Texas, yeah, New Mexico, and Arizona, yeah. Yeah, the hottest parts is where you get more chupacabra sightings. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I can see it being a coyote as well, but the fact how it's standing, there's no way, because it's literally got functioning knees that are buckling mm-hmm. outward and then going back towards the body. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a huge potential that it's, uh, you know, fake. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if we're just looking at it as it is, it's definitely not uh, an animal mm-hmm. that we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, just looking at it, 
Um, you can tell by looking at the picture, it has like more of a mane on the back of the head and definitely ears that are sticking up and a kind of uh, furrowed out nose, such as like a fox. Um, but for me, it's hard to tell if it's looking straight at the photo or if it's a side angle of the face, because to me, it almost looks like the face is looking towards the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can kind of see uh, the hands, and it almost looks like in the left hand or the right, if you're looking at the picture, um, it's holding something. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's curious on where this picture is taken. It says it's near a zoo. Yeah. So, I mean, if it is, you know, a chupacabra, which is known to drink blood of animals, it could be hungry, so that's why it's wandering near a zoo. Yeah, which I think that's why they tagged it as a chupacabra, because it was close to a zoo, and that's where it was caught on camera. But, um, yeah, that it's very, very interesting-looking uh, creature, for sure, if yeah. the photo is real, of course. I've seen other paranormal groups post about it as well, and I saw some people kind of questioning if it could possibly be a skinwalker as well. Maybe, but I think skinwalkers are actually primarily known to be less hairy. Mm-hmm. Like, they're more to be... If it, if it is hair, it'd be patchy fur and very stringy-like uh, hair, not so much as a full. Um, unless it is shape-shift into a creature, but chances are if it's shapeshift into a creature, it would look like a normal animal. Yeah. But I guess we don't know too much about those as well, so... Yeah, because, I mean, if you look in the past of, you know, uh, urban legends and folklore about some of these animals, like werewolf, for example, even if uh, if it was some sort of a human that transformed into a werewolf, it would still walk amongst the living like it was a normal human being. You know, that's... Actually, thinking about now, I meant to talk about what I just described. That mm. is uh, a wendigo that looks yeah, like wendigo. that. Yeah, wendigo. Yeah. Skin, yeah, skinwalker is totally, totally different. They can, yeah. they can more likely look like an animal, too. But I don't think I've seen um, a skinwalker described as an animal that can walk on two legs. Mm-hmm. I would say if a chupacabra does exist, this would be as close to it as you, it would look like. Yeah. But chupacabras... I guess there's, if unless there's different species of them, I think they also are in the same category as not as much hair, because if you think about it, um, in desert regions in which it is found, mm-hmm. um, type of animals would adapt to not have as much hair because of the heat. Yeah, uh, that's why you see like a type of coyotes and stuff have really short type fur in that region because it's too much thick fur and they would overheat. Yeah, because I, I, even though I've mentioned this before, it, it's some of the shows that I watch, like Meat Eater, for example. It's about a uh, about a guy that goes hunting, and it doesn't matter where he goes, he just goes hunting. And you know, there's a stark difference between animals that are in, say, northern Idaho, Washington, Montana, even into Canada or even Alaska. You know, the farther north you go, the bigger they get. But I've also noticed the farther south you go the smaller the animal gets. I mean, uh, Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico have deer, but they're almost half the size of the mule deer that we have here in Utah and Idaho, 
but then if you start going up north they're bigger you know what i mean so it's just like some of those animals they adapt to the region that they're in and so if they're in a hotter climate they're going to be smaller less fur and everything like that that's just how it's always been so i find it kind of ironic that you know in in lieu of talking about this chupacabra you know it could it could be a viable thing yeah yeah, I th- I think it's really cool. Um, Texas, mm-hmm. I mean, they have a bunch of weird shit. I think the, Texas is the most uh, place that people say they see uh, cryptid places. I mean, because Texas is huge. Yeah. I mean, it is vastly huge. I think people don't realize how huge Texas is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is very potential that... Uh, there could be something like that there. Yeah. Because I think, to put it into perspective, I think it takes, what, a total of two to three days to travel from the east side of Texas to the west side of Texas, uh, tip to tip? Um, basically, you can fit all of England's continent in Texas. Yeah, basically. That is essentially how big Texas is. <laughs> yeah, because uh, officially, Alaska is the biggest state in the United States, and then Texas is a solid second. Yeah, it's... Texas is huge. Hmm. But yeah, definitely definitely interesting. I learned a lot about that, and I'm kind of curious to see if we find anything else. I'm going to see if I can see if I can get any uh, pictures of illustrations of what the Kushtaka looks like, and we'll post it up in the group page. And we'll also um, post the story as well. Yeah, I think I did. I did have a picture of. Oh, it. you did. Sweet. I did. Now I gotta remember how to spell it. Shit. It's a weird thing to spell. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's it's what you would expect. I mean, it. It literally is. An otter man. Hmm. There, I sent it to you now. Yeah, I, I, I could, I could probably see myself shitting my pants if I came across that face to face. Especially if it was over six foot. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. deal with a grizzly than that. <laughs> It's not the prettiest looking thing. It's what you would expect an otter man to look like. Yeah, most definitely. Alright, so... The case that we're going to be talking about. Now, do you remember this case in Mount Pleasant, David? Um, I do. Because it had not only uh, outside things that are influencing the inside, but Mm -hmm. it also had an earth elemental. Yep. Uh, which actually turned into, I would say, the top five craziest cleansings. Yeah. Uh, due to the fact that this earth elemental literally broke a glass candle mm-hmm. that was just sitting. Like, it didn't fall off anything. It was just sitting on the countertop, and it broke it. Yep. Uh, probably the strongest will of power I've seen a spiritual force emit. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember it quite well. Well, and to preface, the the house that we were in was very, very, very heavy in earth. 
Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Essentially, this was a house that was kind of like a log cabin style, and they had a lot of earthy-type um, furniture there. So, I mean, they had big old logs uh, for, like, tables and stuff like that, and there was a lot of uh, animal antlers and a stuffed lot of... Animals. Stuffed animals. There, there was a lot of things in this house that were earth-based, so it was very heavy on the earth element part of things instead of being balanced between all four elements. And then coop that with the Wendigo that we were dealing with outside as well. Just ended up being a very, very, very intense night. Yeah, and I, we haven't dealt with too many Wendigos, but I would say this is potentially close to actually dealing with one. Mm-hmm. But we believe that the Wendigo was just kind of passing by and kind of just noticed this weird, you know, energy that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um and just decided to kind of stick around to see what it can get. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was there. It wasn't there. It was kind of there accidentally mm-hmm. due to the earth elemental being in this residence. So once it decided that, that like, oh, what's going on here? It kind of took its reins and kind of controlled the earth elemental a little bit to kind of cause more chaos to rile it up so that the mm-hmm. Wendigo could potentially get an easier prey. Yeah. I think that was our determining uh, the reason why a Wendigo was potentially there. Mm-hmm. And I also um, found it, uh, I also remember this uh, quite fondly, that the Wendigo stayed just right off the property line. Right. So it was in like another uh, neighbor's uh, area. So we couldn't get to that area to fully determine. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, when we did our cleansing, to kind of seal the property line off so it couldn't have any influence on the property. Yep. So unfortunately, we kind of made it to where it had to go somewhere else, but we couldn't physically deal with it. Mm-hmm. But also the, um, I think, steps to actually dealing with the Wendigo are a little on the extreme side. Yeah. So it was kind of a happy medium <laughs> to just be like, well, we could protect your house, but it, it's going to go somewhere else at some point. Yeah essentially but yeah that Um, elemental like once we determined that it was a a earth elemental in that house which was mine and david's first time actually dealing with an earth elemental it ended up uh being pretty intense and very um time consuming to try to get rid of this one luckily the client had roses ironically enough had roses that we needed to complete the the cleansing of it and everything but yeah, when that when we because then we hear the uh, the thing shatter. Yeah, because I don't think we were in there because it was placed in the kitchen and we were doing other things. And as Diana was cleansing, uh, I was trying to walk towards uh, the master bedroom, and there was just a force that was just like pushing you back essentially. Mm-hmm. And as she was getting more and more done, yeah, we just hear this kind of like break essentially. And mm-hmm. then we go and looked, and we saw that the candle was. Uh, split and like a piece was just falling in into the candle so not like falling out it looked like someone tried grabbing it and pushed with like their thumb in Mm -hmm. on the candle and and broke it and it it was wild yeah um that elemental was not happy whatsoever Mm -hmm. and yeah i felt a lot of force being pushed on me that i haven't normally felt before Mm mm-hmm 
And we also found, what, one, two items that were, that had an attachment on them as well? Uh, yes, yes, there was like a mask from New Orleans, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't remember the other one, I remember the mask. Um, because I think, and something else. Oh, was did Yeah, yes, and she actually offered for us to like take it and we're like no we can we can cleanse it and you can keep it like yeah we, but you know because she was just worried about it. she's like oh it is, this is a problem well, i don't want it no more but mm-hmm. i still feel like she was somewhat still attached to the items yeah because like if someone really really doesn't want nothing regardless of what i mean yeah we'll take it off their hands but if it's something close to them we can cleanse it and so that they can keep it mm-hmm Yep. Um, but yeah, I do remember because the mirror was in the daughter's bedroom. Yes, that was the thing, and then the 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 mask I think was hanging on the wall in like the dining kitchen room area, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I also remember it being cold as shit. Yeah. Outside when we were doing the 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 ceiling of the perimeter, which uh, is an interesting technique that I don't think we've talked about. And it's like one of the first times we've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to explain what we did, or do you, would you like me? Uh, you can go ahead and start on it, and I'll fill in the the blanks. Cool. Well, I remember we had to dig up four corners of the property. Yep. With a shovel. Mm-hmm. And we had to put in. Was it a crucifix and some change, some metal? No. So we ended up using, if I remember correctly, I had some steel plugs and we used herbs. Steel. Okay. I knew it was a metal. Yeah. I didn't remember if it was like some coins. Yeah. It was cast iron, uh, basically steel plugs that you use for uh, plumbing. And then we would do certain uh, herbs inside of those uh, steel plugs and then we would bury them in the ground in all four corners of the property, essentially putting a invisible barrier around, a square barrier around the property to protect the, the, the property and the house and the occupants inside that property. And I think that should work for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, everything deteriorates, so at some point it probably will um, no longer be a thing. Yeah. But I think for the most part, it will be there for a minute unless something really strong comes by and knocks it down. Yeah. I have uh, tested a theory of mine. This was on another cleansing case. But I used a candle wax, a white candle wax, and poured it inside of the steel caps after when I've put the herbs inside of them to essentially encase those herbs in the steel cap to prolong the life of it. And I think my theory actually worked out pretty well. Oh, okay. So that's something that I'm going to try to implement from here on out on every cleansing case if I have to do any type of actual property barriers and everything. I'm going to use a candle to encase it so that way it lasts longer. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And you think there's a significance on the color of candle wax? Yeah. 
Because, I mean, you definitely want to avoid red or black. You definitely want to do white because essentially you want to try to get rid of anything negative or, or anything like that. And white is the purest that you can use for that. Right. So it just helps with intentions using a white candle. Yeah. Makes sense. There's different intentions for different color candles you can use. I know plenty of people that are white witches, not, you know, not gray or black, but actual white witches that um, use different colors. So they can use a black or a white, or they can use a white, red, or black, or it just depends on the intent. But to keep it simple, I'd rather just use white because it's the purest thing. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But so we did that. Um, we didn't really have two problems outside doing that, just other mm-hmm. than just really being cold. Yeah, it was really cold. Um, but then once we uh, got the elemental out, I mean, I, it was pretty much it. Everything else was easy. I mean, did the quick cleansings on the the items, and yeah, that that was pretty much it. There was really nothing else, I think, spiritually uh, in there other than the elemental was the, the biggest one. Yeah. And that one took the longest because he was very strong. This was the strongest elemental I've ever come across. And due to the fact that the house was so heavy in earth elements, that it, and it made a lot of sense. And, uh, I mean, we obviously gave advice on uh, what to do to kind of help balance it so that it wouldn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if it got implemented, but don't think we've heard anything since then and i don't i was she talking about moving to when we were there i, I don't remember yeah because i mean she was renting the place so she definitely wanted to get out so i would dare say that they're probably already long gone from that location by now it's been a couple years since we've done that one so assuming everything went fine yeah basically i mean it was definitely one of the more harder cleansings to do but i feel like that we did we didn't eradicate the issue, but I personally believe that she already had her heart set on getting the hell out of that location anyway, so. Right. But yeah, that was the Mount Pleasant residential that we had to deal with. Definitely kind of a, a unique and and weird one at the same time, dealing with the Earth Elemental and then dealing with the Wendigo at the same time at on the same location. So it's definitely one that goes into the, the books that I'll remember this for a long, long time, you know? Yeah, it was... It was fun. Mm-hmm. So the Footstep Tracker. <clears throat> now, I know for a fact Ghost Up actually has the Footstep Tracker 2 on their website. I was not able to find a link for the original Footstep Tracker. But essentially, this piece of equipment that uh, both David and I both had the exact same thing. It's a uh, piece of equipment that's got red lights on it, and it has a geophone that you attach to it via this plug. And it's got a pretty decent cord, and you can set it up wherever you need to monitor if you, you know, basically want to validate hearing footsteps and everything. The footstep tracker is basically going to... Uh, track that for you now there's a couple of different variations ghost stop sells their own brand of it and then i do remember ghost hunters equipment also sells their own variant as well so i have two different ones and david has the one um but basically uh the ghost stop version you can change the sensitivity of it 
So that way, um, say for example, you're on, you're in an old rickety building that will basically shift and move and groan and you know make noises because of the way that it was built and everything and and, and all that good jazz. So you gotta have to adjust the sensitivity of it to accommodate that. Um, I feel like we've gotten some success from the footstep tracker. I mean, every time we've heard big bangs or anything like that, it's picked that up. I haven't actually have any evidence of hearing footsteps and actually seeing the footstep tracker actually light up. Um, didn't we at the, that bar in Garland? We didn't use it there. Did we not? Not that I can recall. Oh, I thought we had, I thought we had, because that was like the first times we got it. Was it? it was around that time. Let me double check. Because that one we audibly heard footsteps, but we also, I think, had the footstep tracker as well. And if not, also the EDI has a geophone integrated into it as well. Yeah, the EDI, and doesn't the EDI Plus too as well? Yes, yep, yeah. they both have a, a geophone. Huh, let's see when did we do the garland bar oh god like four years ago <laughs> forever ago because i know we used it in iona yeah but that this is before iona mm -hmm. hmm. i mean maybe not like I said, it's been four years ago memory could be a little hazy on that one but i could have sworn i remember the footsteps hearing it at the bar yeah because they were they were up on the second level yeah mm -hmm. i just i guess i don't remember um i remember we i had it at but i just don't remember if we used it yeah i don't remember if we actually if i had that one or not at that time or if you had that Yeah, I don't remember. That hmm. was a very active bar. I mean, we've had other pieces of equipment going off that whole entire time anyway. Right. Maybe it was more of the REM pod then. Yeah, I think it was a REM pod, because I don't think we actually had the footstep tracker for that investigation. Yeah, I don't think we did. Because I know we heard, because, you know, we had the audible, uh, the audible disembodied voices that we heard. We heard the footsteps going on upstairs in the balcony area and on, and on the stairs itself. And then we had the geophone going off uh, pretty much on a constant basis for a good, what, five, ten minutes right there on the stairs. Yeah. And I think, if I remember correctly, that was around the time when you first got your SLS, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think I used it there, too. Yeah. I mean, I like this uh original so i'm gonna say uh original and then 2.0 because mm -hmm. ghost stop has a 2.0 version now but we have the original version that they first came out with yep but the problem with the first one that i have with is unless you have a camera on it or watching it it's mm -hmm. kind of pointless because then the different version that you have that's not ghost stop brand it actually has a sound emitter when it's also getting footsteps on it yeah and this one's got different uh, settings on it too. It has three different sets of lights and it detects certain uh, different things in which I'm trying to find the uh, 
trying to find it on their website. I would... Oh, there it is. It's the Parafor Spirit Vibes Vibration Sensor. Is what it's called. Basically, this one... Uh, Spirit Vibes works by triggering the LED lights when any shock, vibration, or movement occurs. No matter how small. Detection is done in three axes. Horizontal, vertical, and before, uh, before and behind. Um, Spirit Vibes will alert you visibly... Uh, visually with three different rows of uh, consisting of six LED lights spirit vibes will all ha also has an audible alarm that alerts you when movement has occurred so we use this one for the um, for footsteps as well we haven't actually used it for any of the other aspects of that piece of equipment we've mainly used it for vibrations basically knocks footsteps and it seems to work pretty good, I would say. Don't you think so, David? I, I like it. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, we both have the, the original Ghost Up one. We don't really use it that much. But uh, this uh, 2.0 one um, is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm also not terribly convinced on it. Mm -hmm. Just because with our thing in motion, like, we don't really use the motion type stuff that often yeah um but it's it's interesting the the style in in which it's doing i mean it also has a speaker so it obviously seems like it has a type of sound that mm -hmm. can emit uh, it has a display screen that tells you the events and then different colors that coordinate certain things i'd have to look and see what each color means because there's a light bar that does live readings, and then mm -hmm. the top one is an event marker that does one light that kind of tells you um, that an event has occurred, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's one of those that it really doesn't explain too much on how it specifically works. Yeah. You'd kind of have to see. But um, I don't know. It seems nice i mean i think with the original ones that re they required batteries where this one is rechargeable mm -hmm. um which is nice i'm liking more and more that things become chargeable yeah um i guess the I live readings uh based on the light markers is uh, scanning low mid high and then just a marker for whatever reason mm-hmm um, I'd have to read more in depth on um, uh, what it says, but I mean, it does have an audio alert sound that you know lets you know that an event took place. So that is a nice update. Yeah. Compared to their original one. Yeah, because I I kind of feel like they use the same case as their laser grid for the footstep tracker, the the original anyway. And then the way that they did the the footstep tracker too, it's completely revamped. I mean, it's a different shape, uh, different functionalities, and everything like that. So I feel like this is like a uh, more beefier, but it's kind of goofier looking too at the same time because you just it has that big old light bar that's sticking straight up out of it. And it, from what I can see on the pictures, it looks pretty thin. Yeah, I would be worried about that potentially breaking. Mm -hmm. 
for sure because i mean there's no case for it too so it's just like free floating you know yeah no that was the other thing too that i wanted to note that the original footstep tracker came with the rubber uh case around it kind of like the uh kind of like some of the other equipment that they've come out with like the edi and edi plus there's that rubber case that goes around it and everything so it could be a little bit shockproof so I feel like that they've just decided to scrap the original version of the footstep tracker and just create something completely different in regards to that. Because, I mean, if you compare, like, what the original footstep tracker did versus the new one, I mean, yeah, it does track footsteps and, and vibrations and everything like that, but it also it doesn't do it via LED and an actual physical sensor that you plug into it. It's all built in and it's got a big old rod sticking out of it that lights up telling you with the intensity of it. So right. I feel like it's a little, it's, it's completely different from the original footstep tracker is my feeling. But I like the original one based on it was simple. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, it did exactly what you needed it to do. I mean, you can adjust the sensitivity so it takes heart. You know, it was simple. Yeah. And the fact that the, the cord on the sensor was long enough that you can actually set the actual physical piece of equipment on a chair with a camera and have on it. the sensor be on the floor. Exactly. It, it separated it. Mm-hmm. In so, fact, yeah, if I, I remember I like correctly, I think I used it a couple of times on different investigations where I stuck the tracker in the in a room but then I put the sensor outside in the hallway. I do remember doing that a couple of times, and that seemed to work out pretty well as well. Right, and then it helps with camera angle as well. Yeah. So you can like put the reading close to the camera and then have the actual tracker be on the floor, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where it's harder to see from the camera's angle. Yep. So I, I think the original one was really good, and for how simple it was, it did what you needed it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I guess this one could be potentially better. Like I said, we don't really use in terms of tracking that because normally if we can hear it and our audio can hear it, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, we, don't really, it, we don't really need to measure and see it because mm -hmm. if we can, you know, actively hear and feel it, yeah. then seeing it being, it's kind of pointless. Yeah. But it, it, it's a nice tool. Well, and I also wanted to bring this up, too. I've also seen other paranormal groups use the footstep tracker for other means of collecting evidence for the paranormal. So I've seen other people use it uh, with, like, haunted objects or with toys and stuff like that. So they would have uh, pretty much a plat uh, little area where there would be toys and, and everything like that. Or they would have a haunted object there. And they would use the geophone feature of it to detect any vibrations or any movement with the uh, equipment. Because, you know, if, if say, a spirit moves a doll and it falls over, the footstep tracker is going to pick that up as long as the sensor is within a reasonable different distance of that piece of equipment, of that uh, doll or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, if it falls over, you'll, you'll see it. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's good to to have that there because they use it for trigger objects, you know what I mean? So that's another yeah. way of using the, the original footstep tracker as a viable piece of equipment, not just for tracking footsteps and vibrations, but also using it for trigger objects as well. Yeah, no, that makes uh, sense for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I like it. We, we just don't, we don't use it that often anymore. 
it seems like we have uh, other more things that we use more than that. I don't, I don't remember the last time we've actually used the the Ghost Stops OG tracker. Yeah, which we should probably start using it more because I, I have some haunted items that I would like to do some more investigating on and that would be a perfect piece of equipment to use to see if it detects anything with it. Yeah, no, we, we definitely should. But yeah, me personally, um, oh, I was going to go back to, um, so when we use the footstep tracker, we haven't physically caught any evidence of footsteps being caught on camera and the footstep tracker actually going off at the same time, but it has picked up like bangs and knocks and stuff like that in other locations. And we've documented that as evidence as well, because it did pick that up. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, personally for us, Bear River Paranormal, we did not catch any footsteps with the footstep tracker with both versions that I have and the and the version that David has, um, plus the EDI and EDI Plus, but it has picked up other types of evidence as well. So, you can use it for whatever you want to use it for in the paranormal. It will definitely work as long as it's geared towards what type of activity you're trying to capture on camera, essentially. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, yeah, evidence is evidence. We've gotten stuff with it for sure. Mm-hmm. Just not what it was intended for, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, I personally would give it two thumbs up. I would definitely recommend people to buy it. Now, the new version of the Footstep Tracker is currently on sale as of today for $179.95 on Ghost Stop's website. Uh, The asking price is $199.95. So it is a little bit spendy. But if you want to get the uh, Parafor Spirit Vibes... As it sits right now, it is going for $129.90 on Ghost Hunters Equipment website. So this one is a little bit cheaper. Um, It does have a little bit more functionality to it, plus it has the audio portion as well, but it's completely up to you. Yes, endorsed. Very much so. Both. It would be interesting to see. um, This one I definitely don't think I will get soon yeah um i want to see oh god i hope not you did just drop 500 bucks on that other piece of equipment so hopefully you don't get anything for a while it's fine um (laughs) i would actually do like to see it though be used yeah i'm kind of curious if anybody else is gonna buy it because i mean currently there's zero reviews on it so i mean no one has act that bought it yet but Mm mm-hmm I would like to see some videos on it, for sure. Well, and I'm kind of wondering, when did that get released? Because I don't remember ever seeing an email about it. Um, I th- It was released before the Envoy. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think it was released around when they did the EVP spike sensor. Hmm. Okay. Not sure. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. Interesting. Because I usually... I try to check out every piece of equipment that they come out with, but I don't remember seeing an email about it. Or I probably did, or I just deleted it. Hmm. But yeah, we definitely recommend it. Any uh, last words on this equipment, David? 
on the equipment no all right oh well, i think that will wrap up this episode of the brp podcast we thank you so much for tuning in to us and you have a wonderful rest of your day bye-bye you are listening to the bear river paranormal podcast brp podcast if you or you know of someone who is having issues with an entity or a possible haunting please send us an email text or call you can find all of our information at www.bearriverparanormal.com. We work 24-7 so we can resolve your paranormal issues quickly and as conveniently as possible. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Toss us a rating or a review. You can also find us on Facebook at BRP Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring us, or if you like your products featured on the show, please send us a message. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your day.